Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Communitas Podcast, where we share stories and insights on culture, the church, and living on the missional frontier. I'm Jeff Reinhardt, president of Communitas International. Andrea Asher, chief mobilization director, co-hosts. We interview guests from around the world who are striving to transform lives and communities through writing and living on mission. Let's start the show. So, hey, welcome to the Communitas podcast. Uh, Today, I have the just tremendous pleasure of speaking with Barbara McNish. And Barbara has been a part of the Communitas family and world for a good number of years. And we'll hear more about that uh, from her in just a moment. But Barbara, thank you and welcome. And uh, what a joy it is to spend some time with you today. Thank you, Jeff. It's an absolute joy to be here and a privilege. Thank you for having me. Now, we can all hear right away from what us Yanks would call an accent. Uh, tell us tell us where you're from and where you're currently living. So I'm from England in the UK, and I currently live in North Yorkshire in the beautiful Dales. Yes, which is how far from London? Oh, um, well, I drove it yesterday and it took me five hours. Wow. Okay. Barbara, give us a little bit of your background. Like, how did you get started with Communitas? And and really, maybe more important before that is, how did you find out about Communitas and what drew you toward this particular organization? Oh, feels like a lifetime ago. But um, my husband and I were in Maryland and we were at a church in Maryland. We were there, nothing to do with Communitas. We were um, part of a a government swap between the UK government and the US government. And um, so working there. And we had felt very much, even before we moved to the States, that we wanted to go into full-time missions. And that Christmas, which was the year 2000, um, or the just before the year 2000, we took a bunch of youth from our church and went to the Urbana Missions Conference. And we all thought the world was going to end um, right while we were in the conference, but we went anyway. And uh, court flew on the way, and it was absolutely freezing in Chicago. But um, yeah. we had an amazing time, and we met Communitas uh, there. At that time, it was known as Christian Associates, um, and had some lovely conversations with them on the stand in the in the big hall. Um, <clears throat> but we didn't really think much about it until we got home and started sifting through all the information that we picked up. And it really came to the top because we sort of felt this sense of connection and this sense of um, just liking the people. But we also recognised that we were, you know, we could go with this organisation. We we didn't need to get trained to be doctors or, um, you know, uh, learn new skills. We could go and plant churches in Europe. We were European. We already had a sort of open door. And um, that was the focus of the organisation at the time. That's right. So that was our first exposure. Wow, that's great. And so give us a little bit of the history of after that, like what what became of that and and, uh, what were some of the things that you brought to the organization too? Thank you. Well, um, we decided to pursue sort of pushing the door and seeing if this was going to be a fit. 
So we went to uh, an Engage event, which at the time was called something different. I can't remember now, <laughs> but it was a, an introduction to Communitas. And um, we just fell in love with the values, with the way that the organisation was run, with the sense of being community together, no matter where you were in the world, you know, you were part of this um, sense of family in a way. Um, and there was a real sense of family in the leadership and how it how it was led and, and done. Um, and so we, you know, we, we did also try the door with a couple of other organisations, but this one was just such a clear winner. And we ended up um, waiting, we sort of took two years from that date. So we actually ended up going to seminary, raising support, uh, waiting for a team to form. And at the end of the two years, we went with a team to Florence, Italy, the planter right. church. Wow. Um, now speak honestly, because I think sometimes, you know, we think of um, international missions to a new culture and a different language, and there can be some romanticism with that. Um, and some of that's great and realized, but there are other sides to difficulty with that. So speak to that a little bit. Well, yeah, it's true. Whenever I tell people we planted a church in Florence, we always get that, oh, you lucky things, you got to go to such a beautiful place. And it's like, yep, yeah, we did. It was beautiful, but it was really hard. <laughs> and right. um, I think it was a an absolutely seminal experience. We we use the word a lot in community, don't we, of liminal experience, which we got from um, Alan Hirsch and a lot of his teaching. But it, it was certainly that. It was this sense of being completely outside your comfort zone. Um, uh, you know, we didn't know the language. There were days when I didn't feel I could make myself understood. Um, there were days when we didn't know what we were doing. We weren't culturally aware about a lot of things. It took time. Um, but one of the lovely things about the way that we do plant churches in Communitas is we expect time. You know, the first phase is about just getting to know the culture, just being, having presence in a neighbourhood. And so we took our time to do that and to learn Italian. And we had, I think on the plus side, the team, uh, the team has been, of all teams I've ever been in in my life, this team has been the most extraordinary and the most special. It was it was a wonderful team. And I think part of that is that we were all in this liminal experience together. We were, we were in the pressure cooker and uh, we were having to be honest and, and do life very, uh, at a very guts level. And we did, and we prayed with each other and we supported each other. Um, and it was pretty extraordinary. Wow. That is, that is just so encouraging to hear. Uh, and thank you for the honesty on that. Cause it can be really hard. So it sounds like, um, while you were embedding in a community to make community connections, you also had the community of the team. Yes. Um, when when did those start to blend together? Quicker than we were expecting, actually, because we had sort of initially decided we were going to take a full two years. But we very quickly recognized that we needed spiritual community with each other. Um, and so we were in a rhythm of doing, basically doing church with each other very yeah. quickly. And it just was very natural to start inviting people into that. And the people that we naturally invited in were the people we met on our language classes and the, the students we were beginning to meet who were English speaking. So we could, you know, we, we were doing it in, in English at the time. And um, that was 
uh, it just sort of naturally morphed. So really within, I think by the end of the first year, we had two small house churches. Um, and then we would get together, the house churches would get together for a gathering once a month. Um, so yeah, we would, we fairly quickly had something that looked quite like a church. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's so fun. So what what would you say to people today that have a heart for church planting? Like what 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 are some words of advice you'd give to them or words of encouragement? I think I think one of my temptations is to dream too big too quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not that I would want to stop anybody dreaming big. You have to. It's really important and and that's what generates motivation. But I think that um, that to actually recognize that you can start right now and just have a conversation that has spirituality at its heart, that has love and mission at its heart, you can do that with with anyone in your neighborhood right now. And that's the beginning of church planting. That's it's simple. It's simple and um, and it's down to connection with people. Yeah, good. Hey, we've also been joined now by Joy Preston, who is working with me on uh, some of our podcast stuff. And uh, if you hear her voice and she chimes in with a question, uh, that's who you are hearing, Joy Preston. Joy, is anything coming to mind for you right now? Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I was wondering, Barbara, just you were talking about some of the different ways that you connected with people. What what was different then um, versus maybe some of the shifts that have happened more recently in the way that you quote do church <laughs> that's a great question and i'm not sure i've got a thought through answer um i think something that stri- strikes me and th- so this also brings in the fact that we were cross cultural so that's different to how perhaps a lot of us are living our lives now certainly how i'm living my life now and being cross cultural there's a really wonderful piece where you are the one in need. You need people to explain things to you. You need people to help you. Um, you know, even if it's just to find your way to, you know, the the bureau or the the library. Um, and and actually asking for help is such a wonderful way to connect. Quite often we feel we should be the ones giving and doing, um, but that that was a real lesson then but I think there's been some tremendous shifts so you know we're talking nearly nearly 20 years ago well um I think that people the gathering places and spaces are much more hard to find they're not as um physically located perhaps I think often people are gathering and you that's where you want to find people and connect with people they may well be gathering in quite different places it might be online it might be um it might not be in those traditional spaces that that we would look for back back then. Um, uh, yeah, that's just one thing that comes to mind. It's really beautiful how that humility of being in need brought those connections and probably still does. I think so. I really love the shift that's happening in the world of missions from this sort of idea that so you know I don't think we even knew how uh, influenced by colonialism we were but this idea of going from being the the saviors the ones who are going to to do this amazing work and we've got the answers and you know these poor people we're going to are the victims 
to much more of a partnership model of recognizing God is already at work all around us everywhere. And we're simply partnering with him and with the people already there to bring the kingdom that's already there. So it's much more of a job of partnership and and just revealing what's already there rather than going and imposing something. And I love that. Wow, Barbara, that, thank you for saying that. That is so core to uh, the heart of communitas, but really that is a significant shift um, and a very good one, I think. How, how do you think, um, how do we overcome the historical thought of what mission is, especially in next generation folks, where you know they they may automatically kind of relate it to that nineteenth century colonialism kind of movement. How do we overcome that? Do you think? I wonder if we need to work out a different language. Um, I think that that language. I, we either need to find a way to make the words change their meaning or we need yeah, to find yeah. words with a different meaning because um I think that I think that that I in my mind can can think of mission in a different way than that colonial idea but it's so part of our culture isn't it part of our his, history part of the stories around us and I wonder if we need to think of of that word mission and think of a, a better word that that encapsulates something about partnering with God in what he's already doing and partnering with others. Um, but I, I don't have an answer as to what that word could be yet. I think, I think the yet is important. We can keep thinking, can't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's that tension of, you know, language gets co-opted in so many ways and, and you kind of want to reclaim it in a sense for its original intent and purpose. Absolutely. Um, and then there's also kind of that tipping point where, you know what, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> Let's recreate. Yeah. Yep. There are some words you can't use for their original meaning at all anymore. So. Oh, my gosh. That's so true. Um, yeah. Barbara, tell us about how you've been spending the last several years in some of your areas of gifting uh, around training and equipping. Yes. Well, um, before we went to Florence, our team was launched by a wonderful lady called Ruth Craig, who offered her amazing material to Communitas for free. And she launched our team. And although it was some years um, later, I, I just was amazed by the difference that launch made to our team. I think one of the reasons the team experience we had was so good was because we had this extraordinary training on the front end where we worked together to work out our vision and our values to, to recognize the strengths on the team and to, um, to problem solve in advance really for things that might come up. And um, so as soon as I got the opportunity, I trained with her. And then over time, this was now probably, that was just as I was, we were leaving Florence, which is a long story. Um, but uh, uh, I, I then added to that training all sorts of other training over the next few years. So I got qualified as a uh, Gallup Strengths Coach. I did um, Myers-Briggs Practitioner Training. I did some coaching training. Um, I got accreditation as a mediator. So lots of um, wonderful training in communication and listening skills and how to train in those things as well. 
um, yeah, and started yeah. to offer all of that lovely collection of a toolkit um, within the Communitas training team, as well as for my own business as well. So I sort of had both because I wanted to sort of learn from how these things were being used in the wider world and offer that in Communitas and vice versa. And I found that sort of cross fertilization was was fantastic. It informed so much to, to know, sort of have a foot in both camps. Yeah. Wow. That's a great, a great list of experience. And, and um, yeah, that expertise is, is just so helpful. I know it's been really helpful to our organization as you've continued to influence uh, how we train um, and methodology around that. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit, you know, it used to be when you think of, of training historically, mm -hmm. that, it, that was usually an attempt to acquire a whole lot of information it was kind of an yeah. information dump. Yeah. Um, how has that changed over the years and, and why has it changed? Do you think? <laughs> well, um, I think we've recognized that that's actually not a very effective way for anyone to learn, let alone adult learning. I actually don't really think there's a massive distinction between how kids learn and how adults learn. I think we all learn best when we're enjoying ourselves. We yeah. learn best yeah. when we're engaged um, and then there's all sorts of you know nuances. So you need everybody needs training that's tailored to different kinds of learning approaches. Um, so I think that the understanding around learning and education and how it really lands is really has been really helpful. Neuroscience has really added to that as well, I think. And that's that's something that's really come to the fore in the last probably only in terms of popular understanding, only in the last 10 years or so. So. I think it's um, I think there's a lot that's informed training, but I think that even back when Ruth Craig did the training with us, it was so interactive. And I think, again, it's something that's been quite special in Communitas that we've we've always had a very interactive, um, experiential, reflective way of doing our training. And that, for me, was really informative when I did our training elsewhere and has been a real bar that's set um, for me, what's good training and what's not good training. If I'm on the, the receiving end of training that is just the download of info, I'm so bored and I really don't like it. <laughs> so I don't want to deliver training like that. I want training to be um, really interesting and make you think and get you engaged around something and uh, change how you do things. It's got to be transformational to be worth doing, I think. <laughs> yeah, outstanding. Let's connect that a little bit. And you have a, a great love of the arts and you incorporate those into so much mm. that you do. Um, but maybe speak to how the arts help inform, you know, we talk about communion, community and mission in communitas, but what role do the arts play experientially, whether it's part of a gathering or something special that is done, whether it's a form of worship? Um, how, how have they influenced you? Okay, so I have a little little theological um, uh, favorite thought, and it, it may be well argued with, but I think that before anything else, God is a creator. So you know, before he could be our father, before he could be our savior, before he could be our friend, he had to be our creator. Mm -hmm. And I think creativity is at the core of who God is. And it's out of that creativity that all the rest of who he is and his roles and who we are flow. 
And that's why I think creativity is so close to intimacy with God. You know, when when I'm creative, I have to slow and I have to be present and I have to pause. Whatever that creativity is, whether it's cooking or writing a poem or painting um, or doing music. Um, and I actually think, you know, a lot of the things we call worship are less worshipful than something that is truly creative. Um, wow. And then, so the moments I think where we really connect with the heart of God are those moments where we're being creative. I think you're vulnerable when you're creative. And that vulnerability is also a place where God can reach you, reach your heart in a way that um, it, it's almost unique. I'm not sure there's anything else that enables that to happen in the same way. So I think that it is, you know, creativity is core to, to all those things, to communion, community and mission. It's it's certainly core to com communion with God, that sense of connecting with him as creator. As you create something, you are accessing the very life that he used to bring the stars into creation, to bring the earth into creation. You're accessing something so godly and beautiful. And then it, it, in community with others, to, to create together, to create a piece together, creates a unity and a life that's again, is hard to imagine in any other way. Even if you just think of a choir singing together and the, the notes, each voice being uniquely itself, but creating a whole um, and, and having the, the joy of not just sort of producing this together, but creating something together. It's just amazing. It creates a unity and a bond that nothing else can, I think. And then in mission, yeah. this sense of, um, of seeing God out there. I, I, again, think the arts are very close to, to pro the prophetic. So I think as right. you as you key into creation and nature and God at work, you're keying into his voice and what he wants to communicate to the world around you. And I think if you if you access the arts, you're doing mission. Yeah. Wow, that's great. I, there have been several experiences that I've had the pleasure of being a part of that you've facilitated for various gatherings of communitas. Um, and yeah, I really noticed that too, you know, the, this idea of worship in so many ways, we've, we've almost put that into another form of receiving something as opposed to experiencing something. Mm -hmm. um, and when there's tactile elements of, you know, being engaged in, and oftentimes what you do, where it's surprising, like, like you're doing a small piece of something that then turns into this collective um, beautiful thing. Um, it it really it it connects in a much different way. Mm -hmm. I think I always thought arts are a bit subversive, aren't they? I think they fly under the radar of our defenses, and so sometimes if you if you have a piece, I used to love doing bits of art at Christmas because the Christmas story is so familiar. But if you could do something that sort of peaks piques someone's curiosity and they, they're with you and they're watching this thing unfold and then suddenly it's got the cross in the middle of the Christmas story or it's it's uh showing another aspect and it, it hits at a at a different level than the the prose of a sermon or the um yeah just sort of what's a, a, a top-down thing 
if you're engaged and, and with it and in it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that skill with us too. It's been oh, meaningful. It's my I, absolute pleasure. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. You can tell that that brings joy in I life. I do too, always so. think I have to say, I, it's not about being good. None of this is about being a good artist or a good whatever. It's about just taking the risk and being up for it. Wow, that's great. That's a good life model right there. Barbara, <laughs> I'm hearing some uh, Dallas Willard influence from you on the ongoing creator side of things, which always warms my heart. I'm a, I'm a big Dallas fan. so <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Barbara, I'm noticing such a beautiful theme, too, with what you were saying about training as well as the arts is that it's it's really about this invitation to show up and to be involved, not just to get information, but to be involved in the creating of the information. And that's a really neat change that's happened, I think, across humanity in the last 20 years. Yes. Yeah, I think that's really true. And it, it has its flip side, doesn't it, in the sense that... Um, you know, they're sort of thinking of social media and everyone having a voice, whether that voice is helpful or not. Um, but I think everyone having a voice is really important. And, you know, there's, we have a saying in training that you you haven't turned up until you've spoken. Mm. And uh, I think that's really true that, it, you know, you need to ha have your voice heard to then receive other people's voices. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, Barbara, what are some things that are influencing you now, whether it's some reading or or even your own connection to communion, community, and mission? Um, some of our listeners might want to know some of the things that are influencing you, and we can make those available in our show notes. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, I've been doing quite a bit of work with the Anglican Church, actually. So it's, it's so interesting kind of being exposed yeah. to different theologies or ways of doing church um but the the piece of work I'm doing is um it is actually really similar to the dynamic adventure stuff which is our mission or training in communitas um and uh it's it so one of the books that is really quite helpful is called being interrupted yeah um, I can't remember off the top of my head the author it's Paul oh Al Barrett Al Barrett um but it's it is about this sort of looking for God in the detours and recognizing that He's not always in the straight path in front of you. He's not always in the obvious way of doing church. He's not always in the 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 straightforward. Yeah, and I think I think my own life has been very much like that in the past few years. It's gone off the track I thought it should be on, <laughs> and it's in a in a total detour. And I think that actually the sort of feeling of of um that that you know the way you think you might have the most impact in the world may not at all be the way god wants you to have impact in the world um it could could look very different so for me at the moment it's really looking at um both my kids are autistic and they're quite proud of being autistic so they don't mind me talking about it but um you know it's it's looking at wow how does church land for people who are neurodiverse mm. um how does how does church how do you do church in a way that communicates or not even I'm not really even asking how do I do church I'm just thinking around how does God turn up for them and yeah. and how do they experience him and 
Um, how do we have conversations around that, that that land for them? And it's a complete detour. It's not, I'm not church planting right now. I'm not, um, you know, doing evangelism or mission in a in a in a straightforward way, but it's it's creating a space that's safe and questions can be asked and um and they you know my kids friends can come and feel loved no matter how different or quirky they are hmm. wow that's beautiful what what are you learning from them oh so much <laughs> to um to be much more agile to be much less rigid um to be much more comfortable with difference. I've always loved difference, but it's there's you know there's difference and there's really different. <laughs> yeah. Um. So to drop my sense of uh, any connection as a mum between them conforming in any way to the image of the world around them, that that I'm not my identity is not anything to do with that, and also to allow that to be okay for me as well that I don't have to look like other mums I don't have to look like um other Christians I I can learn to just relax and let it be what it is I'm I'm curious and Joy you can jump in on this too um the Christian movement and I'll use that term in kind of its capital letters uh, has not always been very friendly to women. Um, Barbara, how have how have you experienced that? And how are you experiencing it now? Are you seeing any positive movement there? And Joy, same, same question. <laughs> Great question. Um, I think it's quite interesting, having grown up in England, I think that the question in the church in the UK came up before it came up in the US. Definitely. So I, I think that I've always been in churches where women have led and I was leading our school Christian union at age 13 and supported by male and female leaders. Um, and I've actually felt that I've been incredibly blessed. I've been um so I've I've had qualities and and gifts recognised and called out of me by um, loving pastoral men and women, and uh, and therefore felt that I could thrive as a woman in leadership. It was really interesting though when we came to the states and I was in a church where women weren't uh, sort of encouraged in leadership, and I did end up leading the prayer ministry because there wasn't really one before. <laughs> Um, and we ended up running an alpha course there so we ended up having quite an influence but not you know there weren't elders there weren't any women elders um and I'd found that interesting and then we ended up at a seminary which had the same same ideas and I I just sort of I always felt I was the closet free woman (laughs) (laughs) I'm like no women why would God give you gifts if he doesn't want you to use them but, you know, it's a complicated thing, I know. Uh, my experience has been very similar, um, and I've always felt welcome and invited. But I do know of many women who haven't, and hearing their story has been um, humbling and also sad at times to realize their experience was really different. But I feel fortunate as well, just that I was allowed to preach and lead worship and participate and have a full voice that felt to me 
really equitable. Mm-hmm. So I think it is changing. <laughs> that's, Good. That's that's encouraging, Barbara. I think from uh, what I was going to jump in on that after uh, Joyce, that's so lovely, isn't it? I wonder though, one of the things that I think is really key is is actually men in leadership recognizing that it isn't just about allowing women to lead. It's about lifting them up to lead because so often women won't step forward. I think I don't think I would have ever ended up on the training team if Troy hadn't, Troy Katie hadn't mm. gone, right, do it. You're doing it and made mm-hmm. me do it. And suddenly I realized I could do it. Um, and the same with preaching. I don't think if I had if I hadn't been encouraged to try it, I never would have said, can I can I do it? Because I just didn't think think that that was me. And it wasn't until I did it that I realized I could do it and I wanted to do it. And I had a passion for it and I loved it. Yeah, exactly. That supportive environment really does make a huge difference. And I've appreciated that about Jeff, just that there is always um, a loving, open, welcome invitation, just that there is no distinction or difference because of gender. And that's something that I do think when when you've been in a culture with patriarchy, it does require um, those that have been in that position to change. So you're absolutely right about that. It makes a huge difference. And if there isn't that welcome invitation, then in some circles, it doesn't happen still today. Yeah. And it's something that I've I've really appreciated about Communitas as well, that it's, it's worked, worked at this on every level, you know, thinking about it theologically, working at it intentionally to invite women into every area of leadership in the organization. And that's fantastic. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you guys for, for that, for, um, going there on that particular question. Barbara, there are people listening who, based on what they've heard from you and the gifts you have and, and your experiences, uh, even as, as a mom, um, that maybe want to get in touch with you. Is there a way for them to do that? Yep, certainly. Um, via my website, which is triquesterteams.com. Um, and there's a, you know, there's an email link there. Um, or uh, LinkedIn is probably another good way. I'm not always on it every day, but um, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm just Barbara Magnish. Great. Well, that will all be in our notes for this episode. So please do um, access those and uh, find ways to get connected um, to both of these incredible women. Uh, Joy will also put uh, your information uh, in that as well. So Uh, Barbara, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And thank you for the ways you continue to serve on our board of directors and so many other ways uh, within our organization. It is really a joy to work with you. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It's absolutely mutual. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, For you listeners, thank you for hanging in there with us for another podcast episode. And we drop these every couple of weeks. If you've liked it, please be sure to leave us a review and pass it on to your friends. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. And we'll be back with you in a couple of weeks uh, with some more wonderful guests. So please do join us. We'll see you next time. Bye.